What a wonderful morning of worship already. I invite you to open your Bible to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. And today we're talking about embracing the mission. And as we look at that mission, it's a great mission that God has put before us. God has given us a great future. We have a great mission that lies before us. Great opportunities. And I want us to look together at a passage of Scripture found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. And... Um, Today, as we look at it together, we're going to think about why and how we must be involved in personal evangelism. Why and how we must be involved in personal evangelism. This is part of embracing the future because we're embracing the mission that Christ has given us. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And as the Father has sent Christ, so Christ sends us. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And so we have this great, great mission that has been given to us. We are sent on mission. And that involves personal evangelism and discipleship. You can't divorce the two. They're wedded together. And so we do why and how we can be involved. We're going to look at a story of Christ. And that story, I want us today to look at it like it was a real event recorded multiple times in the Gospels. It's a real event in the life of Christ, but we can read it today and look at it like an enacted parable teaching us. And so we're, as we look at this story... Let's let God's Word teach us some great truths from it. Amen? We live in a world of lostness and brokenness. It's time for us to be involved, to be engaged. We can't sleepwalk through this life. There are people dying all around us without hope, without God. Lost. Yesterday, no, Friday, I did a funeral for a man that was and is, was very involved in our church for a long time. They've been away from our church for several years now, but his name is Steve Saplin. You all remember him. Steve is only 56 years old. He passed away suddenly. He had a rare blood disorder that caused a problem with his blood and his arteries, and uh, he sudden, uh, has, his health has been deteriorating, but he was still working. But very suddenly, on the way home from work, he had an artery rupture in his neck, and, and uh, they could not save him, and he died within a few minutes. And so the funeral was on Friday. When I was talking with the family about Steve, if you knew Steve, he was exuberant, outgoing, three boys, you remember them, and Lisa, his wife. And he was very involved in people's lives and caring for people and loving people and and uh, they were talking about different stories about things they'd done. And they said just four months ago, Steve was walking. They now live in Florida. And he was walking uh, along the beach in Florida. And they lived near Cocoa Beach in that area. And uh, he said as he was walking along the beach, he heard, he saw a woman struggling out in the ocean. And then he heard her cry. 
and there was no one else around. And Steve, with this blood disorder, his lung capacity is only about 40%. He swam to where she was at. And he pulled her back to shore safely. And her life was saved. And when they asked him, why did you do this? You could have died yourself. He said, well, I heard her cry. And I just had to do something. And I knew I had to get involved. Hmm. That was the kind of man that he was. But think about our own lives spiritually, about our involvement with people that don't know Christ. They're literally dying without him. And what is our involvement? Look with me to this story and let it speak to our hearts today. Verse number 17, chapter 5. On one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who'd come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. So understand that Jesus' teaching, there's Pharisees, scribes, or teachers of the law, and there are folks from every village of Galilee and Judea. There was a large number of people there. And even folks from Jerusalem, they've heard about this prophet, teacher, Jesus. They've come to see what's going on and to critique him as well. Notice in in the next verse it says, And the Lord's power to heal was in him. And just then, some men came carrying a stretcher, on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. And they tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd, Before Jesus. Verse 20. And seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. And then the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, Who is this man that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you reasoning this in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you Or to say, get up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home. How? Glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. Amen. As we look at this story, first of all, I want us to notice this man, this man that was paralyzed and the critical condition of this injured and paralyzed man. And indeed, it was a critical condition. He was paralyzed. He was helpless. He could not get to Christ on his own. And so he's really a picture of all of us, isn't it? He is a man that has been affected by sin. The very first thing Jesus says to this man when he lays eyes on him, seeing the faith of those men that brought him 
and this man that was before Christ, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. You see, the greatest need of any man or woman or boy or girl is to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Our critical condition is that we are all sinful. We have all sinned and come short of God's glory. So he was, first of all, a sinful man. And so you can fill that in. Romans chapter 3 says, notice with me, as it's written, there's no one righteous, not even one. I want you to mark with me as we look at this. You can do this in your Bible or just note it as we read it. Every time it says, no one, not even one, no one. Notice verse 10. There's no one righteous, not even one. Verse 11. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. Look at verse 12. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There's no one who does what is good. Not even one. You see, we've all sinned. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is Paul's argument, helping us to understand that we, every one of us, have sinned and fallen short of us. All of us are sinners. He's saying there's none of us that is righteous. You see, all of us are self-centered. All of us are self-seeking. There's none of us that really seek after God. We've become useless, and we're not good. We're broken, and we're messed up, and we're sinners. How many of y'all agree with me? Would you raise your hand? Tell your neighbor, you're messed up. You are. No, I'm not. Yes, you doubly are. We have all sinned. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says, We all went astray like sheep. We all, notice the emphasis on all. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us, what? All. That word iniquity means gnarled. Twisted, deformed, rebellious. There's a twistedness and a disturbedness and a messed upness in all of us. And this is the impact of sin in our life. And sin is destructive. And sin is destroying and it's destructive in your own life. There are three different words that are found in the Old Testament scripture for sin. And one of those words is, means to miss the mark, to fall short, to, to, to not fulfill your purpose or what God designs in your life. The other word is the word for rebellion or transgression, that we rebel against authority. And against God and his authority. And when God's law says something, we transgress it. Meaning, I don't care what you think, God. I'm thumbing my nose at you, God. I will do what I want to do. That is transgression. But then there's this other word. And it is the word for iniquity. And it means twistedness, 
gnarledness, messed upness. And you see, when we fall short of his glory, it brings death into our life. Then we become more and more rebellious against God, transgress his law, bringing further destruction in our life. And it becomes generational and it becomes internal. And we are messed up and sick and twisted inside. And we need a savior. And that's Christ. And the Lord has punished him. That means Christ bore the fullness of the penalty of our sin. For us, the iniquity of us. Hallelujah. Christ died for us. We're all sinners. Secondly, we're separated from God by sin. This man couldn't get to Christ. He was immobile. He was paralyzed. Sin separates us from God, and sin also separates us from one another. That's what sin does. Sin never brings a blessing into your life. Did you hear me? Sin never brings blessing into your life. Say it again. Sin never brings blessing into your life. No, it doesn't. It destroys you. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Satan is a liar and a thief. And sin is destructive in your life. It separates you from God, separates you from one another. It doesn't bring benefit into your life. Your fleshly desires and your sin and the temptations of the evil one, they're destructive. Isaiah 59, verse number 2. But your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God. Your sins have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. It has a, a separating effect in your life. Why? Because sin, folks, I think we can't understand the gravity of our sin. Our sin is an affront to holy God. It is personal against him. David said, against you and you alone have I sinned. Whenever he was confronted about his own sin, his own adultery, his own iniquity, the own, his own murder in his own heart, David had sinned against Bathsheba. David had sinned against Uriah. David had sinned against his own army. David had sinned against his own leadership. David had sinned against his own self. But David said, it's against you and you alone, God, I have sinned. Because it's a personal thing against God when we sin. It's personal. He said, when I kept silent about sin... My strength drained away as in the fever heat of summer. He said it was destructive in my life. Sin destroys us. He was hurt by sin. Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin always pays off in death. Ezekiel said, the soul that sins will surely die. We've all sinned. Because we've all sinned, we all die because of sin. He was helpless. He couldn't save himself. 
This man was disabled. He couldn't get to Christ. And so you can't save yourself. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 says, notice what it says. All of us, oh, all of us have become like something unclean. Our righteous acts are like polluted garments. All of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. Listen, I want you to think about the most righteous, good things you've ever done in your life. Think about the good deeds you've ever done. Some of you have to think for a while. Think about those good things where you've invested in others and given sacrificially, and you felt good about serving and giving and being kind. All of the good things you've ever done when it comes to making you right with God, God in His righteousness looks at the best things you've ever done. Forget all those bad things. The best, this is the, we call those back and say, here, God, here's my best I've ever done. And when He looks at it, He goes, it's stench to me. Why? Because your standing with God is not based in your own righteousness. It's based in the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. Does that make sense? You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't work your way there. Romans chapter 3, verse number 20. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. You're not made just before God by your own works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For you're saved by grace through faith, and that's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not from works so that no one can boast. If you could earn your way or work your way to heaven, then you'd be able to boast about getting to heaven, but you can't earn or work your way there. Notice what Titus says, chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness of our God and Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He saved us how? Not by works of righteousness we've done. You can't earn your way to... If you could earn your way to heaven... Then I, then I, who would get the glory for going to heaven? I would. And you say, well, I think it's Jesus, partly Jesus and partly yourself. Well, that sounds good, but that's just not biblical. The truth of the matter is, if you, if it was dependent on you, then when you get to heaven, you could look around and say, Phew, I did pretty good. I made it. I worked my way in there. Too bad some of those other suckers didn't work as good as I did. Right? But if I had nothing, nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. I have nothing but Jesus. When I am saved, all the glory goes to Jesus who saved me.
Amen? This man was helpless. And so are all of us without Christ. So they bring this man to Christ, this helpless, hurt, injured, sinful man. Representing really all of us. Next, I want us to look at the guys who brought him and how they brought him and maybe why they brought him and, and, and this great story. And notice <clears throat> the compassionate concern of these men. First of all, they got involved because they really cared about him. Can I say this? You probably won't get involved in personal evangelism and sharing the gospel and loving people to Jesus if you don't care about them. They cared. They got involved. You don't get involved with people if you don't care about them. You remember Jesus had this encounter with a man. He was a lawyer and an expert in the law. He asked Jesus, what must a man do to inherit eternal life? You remember the story. And Jesus says, what does the law say? How does it read to you? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, you've answered right. Do this and you shall live. And the man, wishing to justify himself, said, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story. You know the story, don't you? He tells a story. He said, was there a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves. And they beat him and stole from him and left him for dead. And along came a certain what? Priest. And he saw him, and he did what? Moved over to the other side, further away from the man, and kept on going. And after that, a certain Levite came along. And this Levite was a, helped lead the worship and was a part, uh, he, along with the priests. These were the priests and Levites. They led Israel in worship. And so the Levite comes along, and he sees the man suffering, but he moves away on the other side. But here's the point of the story. A certain Samaritan, the Jews hated Samaritans, and a certain Samaritan came along, and he saw him, and he what? The Bible says, felt compassion for him. He felt something, and he went to him, and he bandaged him, and he poured oil on him. And he put him on his own beast. And he took him to the inn. He cared for him. And he told the innkeeper, care for this man. And if there's any charges, then bill it to me and I'll take care of it. He says, which one do you think proved to be a, ma- a, a neighbor? And he said, I suppose the one that shows mercy. Somebody cared about a man who couldn't get to Christ, was immobilized, he's lame, and nobody, he, somebody got involved in his life because they cared about him. They cared about him. Do you care? Secondly, they not only cared about him but I think somebody personally witnessed to them. How did, how, did, how did these guys decide to take their friend to Jesus? Now, they'd heard, they heard that Jesus was in town. 
They heard that this great prophet, preacher, miracle worker was there. Somebody had witnessed to them. Somebody had told them a testimony. Somebody had told them testimonies about how Christ had changed their life. And so they believed those testimonies. Somebody had personally witnessed to the friends and to the man on the pallet. Because when they arrive, Jesus sees faith in their eyes, in their hearts, in their actions. The scripture says, seen their faith. Where's faith comes from? Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. They had heard testimony of how Jesus could change a life. God's called us to be witnesses in this broken world about what Jesus has done in our life. Listen to what it says in Scripture, 2 Corinthians. Paul says, chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade people. We're completely open before God, and I hope we're completely open to your conscience as well, your consciences as well. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain God's appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. They personally are witnessing. They're pleading and they're urging. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody else? Can you remember? When's the last time you told somebody about what Jesus did in your life? One of the things I pray for every week is that God would open doors for me to share my faith with somebody. And when I pray that every day, it's amazing how often God opens doors for me to share my faith with others. Just a few days ago, I was in a restaurant. And as a woman came, she was waiting on me and early in the morning. And uh, I was reading my Bible. And she said, well, are you reading a Bible? I said, yeah. She goes, do you believe that? I said, I do. I said, I love the Word of God. I said, do you? She goes, yeah. But I don't read it in the restaurant. And it was just early in the morning. And I, I, I was out of town. And so I said, well, I love God's word. It's so rich. It's so powerful. I was making some notes about uh, what God was saying to my life. And she said, well, what are you writing in there? And I said, well, these are prayers and things God's saying to me. And she said, can I talk to you more about this? I said, yeah. And then she began to open up about her life and her hurts and things happening in her life. And then she went and waited on people and then she came back. Well, the next morning, I was up pretty early, and I was reading my Bible in the restaurant. And there were, I noticed in the, in the restaurant at this hotel, there was, a, there was a, an athletic team there from a university. And these guys walked over and, and uh, kind of walked by my table, and this guy stopped. He had short cropped hair, and it was kind of bleached on top. And, and uh, he goes, dude. Must be me. <laughs> Reverend dude, do you? And so uh, he said, dude, 
He said, you reading the Bible? I said, yeah. He said, do you like it? I said, I love it. He said, me too. I just started and said, you know what? I said, are you on an athletic team? He said, yeah, we're, we're, we're SMU uh, soccer team, and we're here for national playoffs, and, and, and we're playing here. And, uh, and I said, wow. I said, uh, he said, we got other believers on our, our team. And, and so we're talking for a while. And, and, and then all of a sudden he left, and he came back with two other guys. He said, dude, these guys are believers too. And I told him, you're just light to me. And I said, light? He said, yeah. You're just light to me. He said, can we talk? Can we eat breakfast with you? I said, sure. Sit down. So they sit down and they start asking me all kinds of Bible questions and, and talking about their faith. And I was witnessing to them and sharing with them. And, and one of the guys said, you mean he forgives us of all the stuff? I said, all of it. And so we're just talking through the gospel. And then the waitress comes. She goes, this is a man of God. He reads his Bible in the restaurant. And she said, are you a preacher? I said, yes, I'm a pastor. And they go, the soccer players go, dude. (laughs) We had church. The waitress sat down. And for a half an hour, we had church. They're all around us, folks. They're all around us. And all of us, all of us have a message and a testimony to share. Amen? They personally witnessed. See, they fervently played. I believe this with all of my heart. I think while they're carrying that mattress, that guy, their, their friend, I think where they're carrying him, I think those boys are saying, God, you've done this. God, you've healed other people. God, we've heard about it. God, we believe that Jesus is... So- God, we're taking our friend. Oh, God, heal our friend. Why in the world wouldn't they be praying while they're carrying him? Romans chapter 9, verse 1 says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience is testifying to me with the Holy Spirit. I have intense sorrow and continual anguish in my heart. For I could almost wish to be cursed and cut off from the Messiah for the benefit of my brothers, my own flesh and blood. Romans chapter 10, verse 1, listen to the heart of Paul. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. When's the last time that you were in anguish over somebody that was lost and doesn't know Christ? This morning early in my study, I was putting down names of people I care about that are lost without Christ and praying that God would save them. Will you pray? Will our church pray and witness and believe God and get involved? And they boldly acted. They got there to town. They said, where's Jesus? They said, he's in that house and the place is full. You can't get in. And they said, oh, yeah? What'd they do? They carried him up the stairs along the outside of the building, got up on top of the roof in that tiled mud, mud tile roof. And they dug through the mud and they pulled up the tiles. 
And can you imagine the guys having church and all the theologians from Jerusalem there and the critics and the scribes and the Pharisees, and they look up and they see four faces looking down. And here comes dust and stuff. And My soul, who are these guys? They lower their friend in front of him. And his life was never the same. When's the last time he did something bold? Share the gospel of Jesus. Help people know him. Four or five things happened as a result of this. When Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven you, immediately the critics, and by the way, there's always critics when God's at work. And often they pretend to be religious, but they don't love Jesus. They love their laws. They love tradition. But they don't love Jesus. And you know what? He said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. And the critics immediately begin to say, did you hear that? That's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus, perceiving what they said, said, let me ask you boys a question. Which is easier? To forgive sins or to say, pick up this pallet and walk? Well, the truth of the matter is, only God could do either one. But he said, in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Son, pick up your pallet and go on home. And immediately he stood up, grabbed his pallet, and went out glorifying God. Wow. And the rest of the people had church right there. The consequences in the community. Number one, sins are forgiven. Number two, we're going to have to hurry. Lives are transformed. Number three, unbelievers are confronted with a changed life. Number four, Christ is exalted for who he is. Authority to forgive sin. And he... God is praised. If you're in a church where people are being saved, and baptized and their lives are being changed, the church becomes infused with joy and praise to Almighty God. Amen? Our takeaways today, let's say them together out loud. Number one, say them with me. Number two, Number three. Number four. Number five. Hallelujah. Isn't that a good word? Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It's powerful, it's true authoritative it speaks to our life speaks to how we should live father in heaven today if there's somebody that doesn't know jesus christ as lord and savior i pray that today they would turn from sin and trust in christ and be forgiven and healed father if there's some of us here today 
They've become calloused, uncaring and unconcerned, compassionless. Somehow we've become cynical and unengaged in gospel conversation. Forgive us, Father, and lead us to be men of faith. Father, there are others here today that realize that they have lived in rebellion and disobedience. And I pray that today they come seeking forgiveness in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with me. You come. Don't delay. Make that decision Christ would have you made.